0: My most recent column was the um, uh, uh, pointed out and reminded folks that uh, at the last state Republican convention, Greg Abbott wouldn't go in because he was afraid he would get booed like John Cornyn was booed. So he had an offsite reception and now he's packing halls a year and a half later, um, essentially based on the immigration issue and the border issue. So it is truly salient.
1: Harvey Kronberg, welcome back to State House uh, once again at uh, this incredible time in uh, in Texas politics. Um, we're about four weeks away from probably, I would say, I don't know if you would agree, but you probably will, uh, one of the most consequential primaries in Texas, uh, at least in my lifetime and maybe your lifetime too, um, since maybe 2003. Um I you know when when Republicans actually took over um the state of Texas politically the amount of change that could happen and what could happen in the following legislative session is is what I mean by consequential.
0: I think frankly um the damage has been done already no matter who who prevails the order of magnitude of um disinformation the amount of money behind the disinformation I'll just say it straight out, the deliberate um, uh, lying from the governor and trying to take out uh, House members that are political opponents um, is going to redefine the next legislative session probably, and probably the sessions for a decade to come. Um, It's uh, breathtaking how how much bad faith has been demonstrated, and the civil war inside the Republican Party right now is going to have all kinds of unanticipated casualties. Mm.
1: You know, I've you know, when I look at when I look at what's going on, um, there's a lot of ways to there's a lot of ways to put it in boxes of of, of what's happening. And and uh, you know, when you look at it just politically, uh, I I can see the reason why the governor and Dan Patrick, um, it's a little more obvious why Ken Paxton would be angry. Um, <laughs> but uh, but for you know for policy issues um, and what they've been trying to do over the last, you know, sessions, uh, particularly, I, I, I would say on on uh, school choice, um, in particular,
0: that was one of the big ones, obviously. Um, Except, of course, they're not talking about school choice; they're misleading them into border issues, and then telling them untruths about about the fact that, uh, for instance, House members are uh, had voted uh, specifically to pay for uh, un- undocumented children to go to school, uh, which is called the budget. <laughs> Um, and every everyone that Greg Abbott has endorsed, uh, uh, every incumbent that Greg Abbott has endorsed, has voted for the budget, and therefore is guilty of the very same thing he's accusing these incumbent House members of. And uh, he knows it, and he also knows that there's a court decision that requires the state to uh, pay for the education of uh, children, whether legal or not. Yeah, I saw your uh, I saw
1: your article on that, and uh, you know, the questions I had about that were, you know it's easy to line up those things and say you know, that one thing led to the other and now there's misinformation. I, you know, when I look at the way that the budget is done and I look at the whole line item veto and, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's a little misleading. Um, I think that someone could go in and just take out the things that they really just don't, I mean, it doesn't really work like that. And well, the, and actually,
0: the, I'm going to, I'm going to push back and say the, um, uh, the governor has established the precedent of going in and scratching out words, not just doing a line item veto so he can change the intent. Now, he can't really because if it defunded uh, education for right. undocumented folks, they would go to court and he would be overruled. Right. But, um, well,
1: there would have other consequences than just – I mean that language that's in there is mm-hmm. going to have multiple consequences. So. Nor has he
0: ever advocated for any change in the language. So yeah. uh, the fact that he's blaming these guys gratuitously for uh, – Uh, reaching out to support undocumented educations is, um, is, um, it's burning bridges that will take, may never be uh,
1: rebuilt. You know, um, when we started doing this podcast, one of the things we would say is, is, uh, you know, politics is a contact sport and, uh, it's, it's no more true than right now. And, uh, I, uh, You know, as as someone who's been involved in politics, as you have for so many years, you know, the the thing you look at is you can get very um, jaded about how people are administering their politics, right? Like in the 90s, there was a different way to look at how you would deal with different parties and, you know, kind of the whole chairmanship issue and all that, which, you know, we can talk about. But, you know, we're no longer in the 90s. We're in the 2000s. And the 2000s are not, nowhere near what the 90s, where it's kind of like going, you know, back in the good old days. Well, those those good old days are gone, and we're now in a whole different era. And when I look at people that are in politics, including myself, um, you know, in law school, they they have a term called voluntarily mounting the rostrum. That's the term for someone who has decided to run for for uh. for an office. And they voluntarily basically <laughs> expose themselves to everything because, you know, you can't libel them. You can't – you know, those – those the, there's things that, that come with that. But they can say anything they want to about you, right? Right. That's part of it.
0: There the is no such thing as legal defamation in an
1: election campaign. No, you – you that's part of the deal, right? So, you know, I, uh, when I look at what's happening right now, you know, those uh, – the folks that are, are part of this, this group of, I guess – almost 75% that have primary opponents, somewhere in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Some already backed out, I think eight or so, backed out already, already said, I'm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, probably smart move, because um, otherwise you're just going to spend a lot of money and, and potentially lose. Some of them, not all of those were for, for those reasons. Other people, some of them are just retiring. But, um, you know, I, I kind of look at it as, uh, you know, maybe you're getting blamed for something else and you're getting put into that poc- that that bucket but you're there because you did something else that got you into trouble and so now you're having to deal with the consequences of those things i'm not saying that these any of these things are i'm not promoting that they're the right or wrong way to to do it i'm just saying that's
0: well apparently the new legislative model is the way the senate works which is a docile group of a docile majority that follows um, the um, uh, the lieutenant governor and what they're going to try and do if uh, they are successful in unseating the speaker uh, or destabilizing the house is to try and impose the same model where it's top down instruction instead of model uh, bottoms up uh, uh, representation of districts.
1: You know, I was thinking about that as well the other day. I was thinking about how does the Senate has been run and, and uh, you know I th- I think that each each uh, Lieutenant Governor has a different way of <laughs> governing, and uh-huh. we've been through enough of them to know some are stronger than others. You know, you know, you got you
0: got the yeah, bob only strong by the permission of their members. Well, it's it's
1: true they have to they the members have to allow it to happen. Is, I guess is the best way to
0: put. At it At any right. given moment, sixteen of them can take him out of the chair. That's right. And uh, um, we have uh, multiple examples, even in my career, of. Uh, lieutenant governors having been taken out of the chair uh, for having gone too far, even if it was just for a week, taking him out of the chair.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and the fact that this is such a submissive group of, um, of in the Republican caucus um, is is such a stark contrast to 15 years ago when you had the Siblies and the Bivens and the and the Ratliffs and the and the, the Coronas, strong individuals who uh, essentially gave permission to the lieutenant governor to preside, didn't ask permission to be able to vote.
1: You know, I think some of that has to do with the way that our election system works. So, you know, if if you that's a great point, you know, um, again, we're talking, you know, I I always look at this kind of as a timeline. Mm -hmm. And I think about like in the 90s, um, you didn't have the kind of money that that's in the politics today. Right.
0: You didn't have somebody sending six million dollars to the governor essentially to run campaigns against his own incumbents. You
1: you you now have people that I've have, have had a series of money the camp pack money that has come in from various people around the state that have a lot of money some are some you know a lot of them are individuals probably have more individuals now than we've ever had that that are independently wealthy that can fund these campaigns um, but we also have a lot of organizations that have learned how to pool their money and bring in money I mean it's become you know pack money is you know.
0: Well, I would, I, would, I, would, I would say at least on the the left is a, a pretty thoroughly disorganized. Obviously, on the right, uh, most of the money is being focused through a couple of billion, well, three billionaires' um, uh, oil money. Uh, Tim Dunn and uh, Ferris Wilkes, in particular, mm-hmm. and they've created um, what the Japanese, what we called in Japan, the interlocking directorates. It's, it's a group of tendrils of uh, faux grassroots that they fund, uh, both publications. Uh, 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 right-to-life groups, uh, Univer- Prager University, uh, uh, they are the largest single contributors. The, the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas actually works as an attorney for one of these guys, and it's not unfair or uh, inappropriate to say to a large – well, I think something like 60 percent of Republican Party of Texas money comes from these these characters, and so um, uh, when you uh, – it's Uh, and their ability essentially to intimidate uh, lawmakers. It's um, you've got a circumstance now where the Republican party is for the moment, hopefully um, a wholly owned subsidiary of a couple of billionaires with a couple of peripheral characters on the side, tossing in uh, some money here and there.
1: (laughs) That's interesting. That's how how you put that. It's interesting. Um, The, um, you know, I was, uh, when I look at both parties, you know, it's sort of an ebb and flow a little bit. I mean, it's no longer, I I think I agree with you that the Democratic Party has (laughs) somehow lost their way um, in how they're running the races and how they're, but, but, you know, but you have to, I think you have to look at what the Democratic Party was able to do back in 2000, oh gosh, I don't, whatever year was the last year of Craddock's his last session was 2007. Okay, 2007, when um, it was time to, to and it was the, the races right before then, there was so much pressure being put on to, you know, get a, a card, you know, signed for, for Craddock. And at the end of the day, uh, what they've ended up doing is basically putting in Strauss with all Democrats and what they called the 11 Cardinals because I the reason I, I know that is cuz I was I got caught in the middle of that okay I was I was I I was sort of uh helping a guy who was not the 11th cardinal but he was like the 12th you know and so he <laughs> really wanted him badly and he wouldn't sign he wouldn't sign he wouldn't sign and then at the very end he went with, he went with Strauss and so for years now right I mean since 2007 or, or I guess not 2007. I guess it would have been 2000. It, the first the first session for Strauss was was 2009. Nine. It was a pretty brilliant strategy because now they had control, really control of the House and the Speaker. And I think I was it was on their on their part. It was a very smart move. And I think that and that, so I think that you see the opposite on the Senate side being sort of the opponent to that the nemesis to that
0: i'm going to push back on your frame there because uh, what you had was the cardinals were essentially the committee chairs the powerful committee chairs including the the most powerful the house appropriations chair in open rebellion against the speaker Mm -hmm. um and had it not been for the essentially the house leadership team coming together the house republican leadership team coming together i don't think that anything would have happened uh the the um uh, Democratic caucus chair at the time, Jim Dunham, essentially – and you may recall that uh, the, the the House at that point was 76 Republicans Great. and 74 Democrats, a virtual tie. And Jim Dunham said, well, we could go to war on this and see if we can flip some folks over. But you guys got the majority as long as you pick somebody that's not Tom Craddock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can probably deliver about 50, which is a pretty compelling argument. But none of this would have happened had the chairman not been in open revolt against uh, the speaker. Yeah, that's correct. That's absolutely
1: correct. But if you look at the remaining Republicans, they were not all in favor of that of that move. I, I mean, would say
0: about half were pretty unhappy. Ab- about um, half
1: were happy. They were unhappy.
0: Yeah. They, they were definitely unhappy. It was the same kind of, uh, Craddock was attempting to do the same kind of domination that uh, the lieutenant governor does now. He just wasn't nearly yeah. as successful and they didn't have control of the money flow Oh yeah, uh, quite the, the way that uh, this leadership team but did. He was absolutely
1: 100%. I mean, I, I can remember th- at least the, I know the first session for sure and maybe even the second session where it wasn't really worth going to the Capitol if you had an issue because it didn't matter. It was only going to be what came out of that office. right? And so, um, you know, you deal with it. That's how – that's – we deal with what we – you know, the politics we get. But I guess my point is that when that happened, you had, you know, predominantly Democrats voting in a a compromise speaker that would be – Mm -hmm. Essentially good for what they consider to be both sides. And that worked for a little bit. But then I think as time went on and you started to have, you know, obviously, you know, you feel that control. I think the the some of the new Republicans coming in with a more conservative view were saying, you know, wait a minute, you got Democratic chairs. We're not getting our stuff through when big stuff comes through we're getting held up and held hostage by some of these some of these chairmen actually i'm gonna to have to disagree with you again okay, frank go ahead the, uh, go ahead
0: <laughs> <laughs> first of all any speaker after the third term is building his own is building his own opposition um you just have a history uh in joe strauss's case i would uh, argue that uh The um, uh, anger wasn't directed towards incorporating Democrats. It was the fact that nobody elected after 2012 was – a no Republican elected after 2012 was a chairman. Um, And so you had a bunch of young, energetic uh, folks with ideas that felt constrained. Strauss was mostly comfortable with his team and – Uh, did not do a refresh. He just kind of recirculated folks a little bit. And so when the – it was clear that he wasn't going to run again, the organizing principle for his successor, one-term speaker, Dennis Bonin, uh, was that uh, we're going to put fresh new blood in. We're going to circulate it around. And um, uh, there was more frustration at the fact that nobody could move up the food chain and they were landlocked than there was frustration with Democrats. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I could, I, I think that's part of it, but I think, um, I think what I would say is, um, you know, if there are chairmen that are Democrats and you could be filled by a Republican and mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, that's contributing to the same problem, and I think that's, and, and I'm, I'm not, again, I'm just saying that's, mm-hmm. this is how, I mean, as I look at it, and if you're a Republican Party and you have control of the House. That means you get to determine who's going. You have the speaker. You get to determine the speaker, and you get to determine the the, the committee chairmanship. That's course. your that's that's your prerogative. If you choose to put in the opposition party into some of those positions of power, you're going to alienate some of your
0: by definition. Your party. And actually, um, you know, we've got a current situation where the uh, uh, the parliamentarian who is, speaks essentially for the um, Uh, for the speaker is uh, causing more problems for the speaker than he's resolving. Typically, a parliamentarian is kind of the de facto psychologist uh, or psychiatrist for the members. And in this one, um, uh, in this particular circumstance, uh, uh, the current parliamentarian has said he's not going to take anything from the previous three sessions um, uh, from from the previous parliamentarian and consider that precedent well, how do you build a bill that does not have a point of order if you don't know what's going to be considered precedent? And then they rely on congressional rules. The the, the fallback is if the the House rules do not um, speak to whatever the issue is, you fall back on congressional rules. Well, they've done it several times without ever giving the citation, even though I personally have asked for the citations. So it's kind of like you're making up out of whole cloth. That's causing Speaker Phelan some heartburn among his members, and appropriately so.
1: Yeah. Does that? Do you think that, um, in your estimation, that 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 feeling is in a in a? I, I've been doing some reading of some of the polling and stuff in his district, and you know, I always feel like you know someone who's been doing a good job for their district tends to do fine, even when they're they primaryed. But um, you know, some of the stuff I've been reading lately, it looks it looks like there may be some. Mm-hmm. There may be some movement there that I didn't realize that there would be.
0: Well, it's um, it, they've got three candidates running against him. That's yeah. an intent. The, the intent is to push him into a runoff. Uh, runoffs are even lower attendance than um, than uh, primaries, and that's at the end of March, right? Uh, well the no the the burn uh, i think would be in april middle, i'm april. Excuse me, yeah, middle, yeah yeah the primaries first week in march and we're about a week away from early voting so the um the intent is to hotbox him with three opponents uh they've been bar- you know we've got uh, uh the president has a former president has endorsed against him dan patrick is running an ad in the uh, district now and um they have um uh really ramped up the the pressure so much so or the inflammation so much so that the speaker's uh, home yesterday or day before. Oh, I did read that. Yes, uh, was uh, they uh, uh, some of the, I'll just let you describe it however you want to, but uh, walked up and actually talked to his wife and it was an intimidating experience. And so now you've, what you've got is, I'm sorry, reminiscent of Europe in the 30s where this kind of uh, overt intimidation uh, is intended, I mean, it's intended. They know they – know, the, the people who are doing this know exactly what they're doing and that it's it could potentially lead to uh, violence, et cetera. They're turning up the temperature deliberately. Uh, be that as it may, um, uh, the Phelan family is well-known. He's got all the institutional support in the community. Uh, as uh, one of his colleagues said, never misses a, a ribbon-cutting. Whether that's sufficient to overcome the um, the intensity that they're trying – that the his opponents are trying to drive – Remains to be seen. And of course, the challenger is a pretty deeply flawed. Um, uh, the lead challenger mm. is, uh, is uh, deeply flawed. Now, there's polls circulating that suggest he, that this guy Covey may actually win on first ballot, but I don't know how the hell you, bat, you, you poll in a primary. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Someone's smarter than me, and you, maybe,
1: probably not smarter than you. It's smarter than me. Well, uh, we're
0: getting into uh, strange, strange territories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The um, so, what do you think the actual outcome? Is there a chance that? Um, well, I think there is a chance that they're that they're going to be successful yeah uh, in, in in some in many of these primary uh, primary battles that they've they've picked. but I've also heard that there's also a possibility
0: of picking up a couple of seats. Um, have you heard that? Not so much I'm kind of focused on the assault Just on the, the current in, on yeah, the incumbents. Uh, okay the first law of, of uh, political campaigns are that um, uh, your opponents are going to lie about you so you might as well uh, go ahead and represent your district. And the second is that uh, the truth is always the first casualty in a campaign, a political campaign. So we go into it uh, not naive or um, uh, innocent about any of this stuff. It's simply the order of magnitude. But uh, uh, just to take, for instance, a guy named uh, – a state representative named Drew Darby out of San Angelo. He's been there for years and years and years. They've gone into um, – they, they've been voting for him. He's a, embedded in his community. And I remember when Tom Craddock was uh, uh, trying to assault uh, conservative Democrats in in the '90s, um, and they were you know they were running media saying they were tax and spend liberals, and these guys were at farm bureau auctions with each other, and uh, they said, yeah. "That sure doesn't sound like the guy I know." Now, uh, we'll we'll find out, but I I think if you've served two terms or less, you um, you have uh, the highest vulnerability. Uh, but to say that Drew Darby is voting for the education of illegal immigrants, and uh, then the the uh, the governor calls out, um, and he, well, it's not factually correct, as I indicated previously. Um, uh, the uh, The community has to say, well, the governor is calling him a liar. Uh, but we've known Drew forever, and we voted for him forever, and he's delivered for us forever. Uh, will the the talk radio partisans overwhelm the folks, the school, the the schools, and the um, uh, the hospitals and the all the other stuff that that uh, darby has been able to uh, accomplish for them uh, remains to be seen historically uh, uh historically the the incumbent if he takes care of his district he um, he, he has a, a, a serious opportunity of being re- reelected right. but he's probably going to get outspent about 4 to 1 so yeah.
1: Well, the money's money's doing all the talking this this go around.
0: The funding sources, essentially, f- to protect or defend the incumbents, are Associated Republicans of Texans, Texans for lawsuit reform, Charles Butts, uh, raise your hand, um, uh, pro public school education, mm-hmm. uh, a program, and um, uh, sp- whatever fundraising Speaker Phelan can do, and uh, all that money collectively is less than the six million dollars that. Uh, that um, uh a tiktok venture capitalist uh through uh contributed to uh uh greg abbott uh, uh to try and beat these guys well it seems like charles Butt could
1: throw 6 million dollars in very I mean, easy yeah, so, yeah. and it,
0: we may see it on the next report i was going to say i mean it, it, but that's not easy. that's um, that's just one funding source for the 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 effort to take out then you've got tim Dunn. you've got uh uh, uh, Ferris, you've got how many millions they're going to spend? And I, although I think they have been, they've poisoned the process. I do have to politically admire the political mechanics that they've put together in terms of a broad-based messaging machine being able to identify their their people, being able to come at these folks from three or four different uh, messaging angles, uh, messaging groups. Um, it's very, very sophisticated. It's been patiently done. Um, and, uh, we've never seen this kind of, uh, operation. You, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I just thought of this when, when you were talking about
1: how much money is going in. So I've worked uh, in States all over the United States and they all have different, all have different ways of, uh, managing political contributions. And, um, I loved the States because I was working for a company, uh, where you could put in corporate dollars, well, there was an unlimited, mm-hmm. so they controlled everything in those states. And ironically, the pack the the, the pack laws were put into place to knock those people out of the game. Right. And when they did, it just made room for independently wealthy people to mm-hmm. to take over. It's almost like if you go ahead and open it back up again, it might even the score a little bit. Um, so I don't know I, I it's um, I I think the 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 pack issue is is always been kind of it's always been uh, difficult you know because it has to be personal or or, mm-hmm. or pack and um and, and so otherwise the only people that can do personal money of those that ma- of that magnitude are independently wealthy well, the, high um, net
0: worth people if you go back uh oh, 03 or 4 decades uh you've got uh um the democrats were essentially uh, owned by the trial lawyers the plaintiff's attorneys. And uh, when it was a one party democratic state, they can pretty much control the agenda. That's right. Uh, now, having said that, um, speakers used to get picked in the back room downtown at the Driscoll, uh, by the manufacturers, the railroads, the chemical guys, and the ag guys. Now you're talking about the good old days. Now, that's, <laughs> now we're back in the fifties and sixties. But, uh, um, so, you know, again, money has a way of finding its way into politics yes, and, it does. um, and, uh, uh, it's just the order of magnitude at this stage. I'm sure what the trial lawyers were contributing back in the, in the eighties, um, maybe is not quite comparable to what's being contributed today, but, uh, uh, it it was an order of magnitude back then that was breathtaking. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm surprised that, um, the
1: trial lawyers, I mean, I guess maybe, well, I don't know why, but they have, there's, you know, high net worth is some of these people and I'm surprised they are, they aren't kicking in A much larger amount. It seems like they would be all over making sure that things didn't go in this direction. Their
0: their attitude for the large... Well, you know, the gerrymandering means that you're not going to... Most of these districts are not, at least on paper, are not defendable or not attackable by a a Democrat. Now, having said that, we're going to have a top of the ticket race this time in the general election. And the question is going to be, has the Republican Party moved so far right in Texas? And is... uh, on issue after issue, the uh, the agenda of the Wilkes Brothers and and Dunn and and the Republican Party of Texas are not aligned with the majority of Texans. Um, so are they creating an opportunity? In this occasion, uh, and just fast-forwarding to November, yeah. um, uh, it's – well, let me back up a second and say say um, after uh, – Beto O'Rourke wasted $60 million uh, in his uh, attempt to go after uh, Greg Abbott. I got calls from national media saying, is Texas even investable for a Democrat? And I said, don't, don't base it on the, the, uh, the Abbott-O'Rourke uh, race because that was a very poorly ra- – well-funded well but poorly run. Uh, in this case, we're going to have a, a, a brand that is already well-known in Ted Cruz, deeply disliked, uh, national profile – uh, and uh, he's at uh, – by most polls – well, the, the most reliable poll I've seen, which was an actual interview poll, Quinnipiac, he's at about a 42 percent approval rating. And uh, he's, already, he's already built his brand. And um, uh, the uh, – he, he refused to take a position after the uh, Supreme Court decision that uh, denied a woman medical health care, uh, medically necessary health care according to her physician. It was going to be an abortion for – He's still remembered for his uh, valiant effort to protect Texas citizens uh, during uh, winter storm Uri from Cancun. Um, so um, we're going to have probably thirty or forty million dollars. Uh, it's one of the, one of the few vulnerable seats that Democrats see. We're going to have a bunch of outside money coming in to brand him as the uh, uh, the woman, the, the guy denying women health care, and and um, uh, he will be the face of abortion. And we'll find out if um if abortion it can counter um immigration yeah border i don't I don't think it can i mean i i, I, I agree but I um, mean, it
1: maybe i mean if you back up maybe you know just a few months ago, maybe mm-hmm. um you know, and we've actually talked about this before, I think if you backed up you know six months or you know a year ago, you probably uh, there was a whole a wholly different um environment surrounding that race, and now with border. Um, the border security issue and, and immigration, it, it just – it, it trumps everything. It's, it has – I should say it has trumped every oh, no, issue.
0: That's I, My it, most recent column was the um, – uh, uh, pointed out and reminded folks that uh, at the last state Republican convention, Greg Abbott wouldn't go in because he was afraid he would get booed like John Cornyn was booed. So he had an off-site reception and now he's packing halls a year and a half later – um, essentially based on the immigration issue and the border issue. Yeah. So it is truly salient, uh, and it's it, the number one issue among Republicans. Uh, the question is do suburban college-educated women. It, the issue has not gone away. It just needs to have some kerosene thrown on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just don't – you know, I mean I, I don't know. I mean I, I this is just my guess. I'm mean, just looking at the national politics and how that's going to bleed into all the state races and stuff, and I just don't see how – um, I just don't see how the abortion issue for Democrats can, you know, can is going to be able to raise. It's not um, a democratic issue. Well, I guess, I guess they've, you know, when after Roe v. Wade was overturned, I think, you know, Democrats saw that as a way that that you know, when Republicans that Republicans did that, you know, mm-hmm. that that's that's how they saw it. So they sort of took it on as, hey, you just took something from us, and.
0: So they have used it in a in a big way, very successfully. Every race that has that that has been the issue, it's the Democrats have won. Yeah, and uh, of course, Beto had the Dobbs decision in front of him six weeks before, and never litigated it, never no. ran a commercial on it. So, I could be totally wrong, uh, but I think it's gonna it's gonna be a salient issue. There's gonna be a lot of money poured into it. But you don't think that you don't think the abortion issue is a Democratic issue? No, no, it's cross seventy percent of Republican women. Believe that a woman has a right to choose.
1: Yeah,
0: um, you know now, but they don't vote that way. It's never been on the ballot. They're going to take the whole point is they're going to make Ted Cruz the the um, referendum on abortion in Texas. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. And if that is true, then the down ballot consequences, you know, the the lines are drawn. Well, I've, I've we in previous um, a conversation I talked about uh, uh, they the the House drew eighty seven say supposedly safe republican seats except that was based on donald trump numbers and we're going to have uh and and 16 of them had uh, underperformed trump um so that uh theoretically there are 16 vulnerable seats there aren't really 16 vulnerable seats those rural seats are never going to go democratic yeah but the suburban transition seats potentially could and um and if abortion is the number one issue and uh, folks here in Texas are going to run on an absolute uh, ban with no exceptions except for somebody bleeding in front of a doctor yeah. um I, I, I and it's going to be graphic um i uh, uh i think that so you um, think by the time we get to no- close to November you
1: think you think this ho- the, the whole campaign on abortion is going to change and become much bigger than it is right now. Absolutely. And so the the, the border issue will start to kind of wane. I don't know about that. I think, I mean, I, I don't want to under... It could, under, it could. Yeah. I mean, if, if if Biden does what I've, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's been saying he's going to do, he's going to take executive action mm-hmm. and he takes executive action, you know, whether it's a cynical way or, of solving the problem or not, um, it, but he takes that executive action, and he actually stems the, the, the movement of all these immigrants coming across the Just board. slows the flow. If he slows the flow, things change,
0: I think, mm-hmm. dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be a problem. Yeah, but you, I, know, I can you can see that. You've got reporters going down to uh, to the, the park in uh, Eagle Pass, and one of them cynically said, well, we spent $10 billion to secure a park, and a half a mile down the road where the cameras aren't pointing, you've got essentially an open border um so uh you know the 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 camera works for the border issue right now and it is compelling i mean there, nobody should deny that it's it's um, yeah no, absolute, uh, absolute absolute although i will prices. say that um, uh, one economic think tank said that it was responsible for what 700 billion dollars in economic activity in the in the united states uh, uh 700 700 billion some ridiculous number in terms of economic growth but uh uh, well, because these are all new consumers coming in um, um, anyway I'd, i don't want to get off on that No, trail, but, I, but no, yeah <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> the um the point is that uh nobody should underestimate the power of the border, but you should also also not underestimate you cannot grant rights and take them away without a consequence,
1: yeah,
0: I, and I, don't forget we may have a mephisterone uh Supreme Court decision coming down. Explain that. That's the uh, morning after pill. Mm -hmm. And uh, a judge in Amarillo, a a Trump-appointed federal judge, uh, without posting the hearing and uh, uh, ruled um, that um, that the FDA had uh, acted inappropriately on the – and this is like 25 years ago that this all happened and is uh, challenging the authority of the FDA – and uh uh the uh and the procedures that they followed, and um it's gone straight to the Supreme Court where we'll probably have could well have a decision well, I don't know if they've no, they haven't heard arguments yet, I'm pretty sure, yeah, I don't think they have no, no. no. so i mean um, i heard I heard that it was coming, but i, I don't
1: think they've had and argument.
0: the odds are good that we won't have a decision until no. after the um November election, but again, that's another argument do you trust? Either you've got elements in Congress saying we're going to have a national ban or we're going to have a national six week um the issue is a national issue and uh it's kind of like republicans uh, uh in two thousand eight um God which year was it ah they're running together <laughs> yes, the <laughs> <L-A-R>. <laughs> this is old uh, but uh oh it was um in uh two thousand 18, uh, that they were going to get, you know, they were running on getting rid of Obamacare. Uh, No, it's 2018. And uh, no, 16. Anyway, bottom line is they're going to get rid of Obamacare, but they didn't have an alternative for pre-existing conditions. Well, that issue ended up being um, in every place but where Beto O'Rourke ran again. That was his his campaign against Ted Cruz. Um, That was a winning issue for Democrats, and it was a nationalized issue for Democrats. And now you have you know republicans stumbling over essentially how they're going to deal with the uh, women's health issue and um and you've got very loud voices on the right that simply want to eliminate or make it six weeks or make it um yeah, in- inaccessible and uh, so that's going to be part of the national conversation as well as a conversation about Ted Cruz yeah i yeah i i just um not you know
1: making a uh, a judgment about whether whether it should or shouldn't be a certain way i just don't see it's uh, just my opinion. I just don't. I just don't see. Some will know on, uh, November, we'll know uh, 7th. on November seventh. <laughs> November, right? That's right. You know, he said the other day it's a binary. Yes, right. <laughs> it either will or won't. <laughs> um,
0: I just think it's um, it's uh, the one of the best tools they have in the democratic world. I test. just don't.
1: You know, I, I I get I get that the issue you know raises up. You know the our you know it it, it gets people to to vote, but. I don't know if it overwhelms all the other issues that are floating around, you know, for, as you say, the suburban suburban women, right? I mean, it, it, if they've got big issues like, you know, economy and, you know, paying for school supplies and all those other things and getting groceries and, you know, those are things that, that hit hard, too, and um, and then you also have the immigration issue, which you know may or may not impact them directly. If you're in Texas, it probably does, depending on where you are. But um, you don't see it as much like, say, in Austin. Right. But I, I just wonder, um, I don't know. And I, I'm really interested to see how we as we get further along um, where this actually starts to break out, because I I don't see that coming back as as the strongest issue for for Democrats. Um, I think it's always there bubbling. I know you're smiling, but I'm just <laughs> trying to think what I would bet you.
0: <laughs> we should do that. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty, cl- pretty I, know confident. I know
1: you're very confident about that, but well, I I, I, d- just, I don't
0: know if it's going to be successful. I just know that, that it is one of the strongest arguments they've got. And um, every time the Republicans stumble, they turn to the border. And every time Democrats stumble, they turn to the women's health. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's, so we're looking at, you know, a a lot of clubbing going on. (laughs) As long as it's not baby seals. That's right. I actually watched a show on that the other day. It was terrible. Oh God. Yeah. Don't do it. Uh Um, So at the end of the day, you know, give me, tell me what you think at the end of the day is going to happen. Once the primary is over, let's assume primary is over, you know, the, the dust has settled and now we're looking at a new group of legislators and, now uh, Dan Patrick has to decide and the governor has to decide, okay, now what do we do? What's our next step? So tell me what you think is the, it's going to happen.
0: Well, the governor is, is confident that uh, former President Trump is going to win and that he's going to DC. And um, so this is going to be in his rear view mirror. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. There's a lot of talk about the fact that nobody owns the border issue more than Greg Abbott right now. And if you're going to, if if polling Right now, the polling shows uh, Trump, in, uh, not a commanding lead, but a, a lead. Um, if that sh- begins to weaken, um, uh, it may be that uh, having a vice president who's on the tip of the spear and built more wall than he has um, is, uh, is a, a compelling argument. Uh, the flip side is he doesn't like people in wheelchairs um, being next to him, uh, you know, being photographed, uh, you know, particularly veterans. It's a, I know, cheap shot, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> What's a cheap shot? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, um, it is a part of his calculation. It's, it's anyway. The bottom line is that uh, so uh, the, if Trump wins and Abbott goes to D.C., yeah. then the lieutenant governor becomes the governor, yeah. which actually is less powerful. Uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Well, that's true. And he had expressed interest uh, uh, when the former president was previously elected and going to D.C. So you could have a circumstance. The mechanics of it are if the lieutenant governor moves to the governor's office, then the senators pick a replacement president who is effectively the lieutenant governor. If the lieutenant governor, if Dan Patrick becomes governor and then gets called to go to D.C., um then you could have a situation where you have two senators running the state elected by a group of senators that's the most interesting uh potential outcome and that would make two senators incumbents they would only serve for two years but it would make them incumbents going into the 2026 uh 26 election that's one scenario and the more likely scenario is that you know maybe Abbott or Patrick will get tapped um and it won't be that that um uh, draconian uh, but the, the house is really where the action is. nothing's really going to change in the Senate I that I can see um, the uh, although it, it would be interesting, uh, we've got two um, two Republicans uh, who uh, have shown some independence. Kelly Hancock and uh, uh, Robert Nichols uh, voted uh, to MP to, uh, to convict uh, uh, Ken Paxton and they will both be in there. Yeah, that's two. Uh, you've get uh, 12 Democrats that's 14 you need 16 to elect a presiding officer that's where the transactions start taking place right. so um, yeah, th- there's grounds for upset there too but it's it's only contingent on the governor the lieutenant governor going to DC well uh, you know I think you're right about I do think um, you know if you know Trump wins I think
1: he's you know, Right now, in a snapshot, more likely than not if in this snapshot, because you look at what's happening, you know, with Biden and all the, the the her report and all that kind of stuff. But again, you know, we're a long ways away from November. But in a snapshot, let's say, you know, Trump wins. I do. I could I definitely could see Abbott going to D.C. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he goes as, as VP. he's planning on it. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't. see. I don't know that. I mean, I don't know what's in his in his mind, but it, it seems to me it'd be perfect for something like Homeland Security or AG or something. I mean, those make mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he could land and then Patrick, I don't know if Patrick wants to go to D.C. or not, but I mean, he could move to governor and, and kind of complete, you know, com- complete the things that he's been wanting that I think he probably want to do is be the head of the state. Yep. Right. I- and it is a weaker position, but then you're right, you know, his his senators that he's been, you know, working with for years, are, you know, one of them's going to ascend to that position, um, lowest Col course, maybe. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> that was the latest thing I heard. But anyway. Well, uh, she's the, definitely working it. Yeah. She's, she's, this is not a very well-kept secret. No, no, no. Uh, and, 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 you know, she's, uh, I mean, I've worked with her since she was in the House, gosh, mm-hmm. I mean, forever. And you know, she's, she's, she's great to work with, but so there's, um, So you're right. So he has. So then there's a there's a, you know, dotted line between the governor and the lieutenant governor, and so it leaves the speaker kind of in a weird spot. And I guess my question, you know, that's probably an easier one to sort of handicap. Right? I was
0: about to start into the house. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: so on the house side, uh, I I'm I'm wondering what you think. Is the next uh, speaker going to have to take a um, a pledge? not to have democratic chairmanship.
0: If Phelan survives, there's two points of view. One is if he survives, it's going to be because they only knocked off five or six of his incumbents. Um, and the remaining incumbents know that there's you can't trust the governor. Uh, you can vote for him 90% of the time and he'll still come out or with him 90% of the time. So one perspective is they become the anti-Abbott caucus underneath uh, uh, Phelan, in which case, the, there will be Democratic chairs because, uh, again, it's kind of like the, with Craddock. It was a Republican chairman's revolt that spearheaded right. the removal of... And so you've got now a hardcore of anti-Abbott folks who know they can't trust him, uh, who's uh, you know, can be targeted, attacked for things that they never did. Um, and so if Phelan survives, you've got this um, uh, potential for um, a real standoff. And, of course, now you've got... Uh, Uh, the lieutenant governor, who might be governor, uh, attacking him in his district. There's no ground for civil conversation at this point. Uh, So there's nothing to – there's no loss to oppose both of them vociferously and essentially lock up the session. Uh, I don't know how you get past that because the level of betrayal is so high. Uh, Now, the flip side is if they're successful, the consensus inside the Republican caucus will be to prohibit – um, Democratic chairs, but a speaker's race may well permit Democratic chairs uh, in coalition with the now-to-be anti-Abbott forever incumbents. Mm, mm. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> and we have a replay essentially. Uh, and and if I'm my speculation is correct, and that is that uh, the, the Republicans have gotten so far to the right that they don't have a message for November. Um, and, um, and if I'm correct, that's a couple of ends, but, uh, that, um, we're litigate, we actually litigate the abortion issue this time. Uh, it, I, I've got a bet with, uh, I'll just say it out loud. I've got a bet with the house redistricting chairman that there's uh, going to be a gain of six Democrats or seven Democrats in the house. Wow. Um, You're and they'll be confident. mostly, they'll mostly be suburban, um, transitional suburban, and they'll be mostly by surprise. Um, I might take that bet with you <laughs> on the other side, <laughs> Well, because uh, that's real confident. He, he, uh, well, no, no. It's a, no, no it's, it's, I'm kidding with you. This is not very much. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, actually, it's a pretty good bottle of wine. Yeah, but, uh, I was, was going to say, you, uh, you've done your homework, so I know you, you, you know what you're talking about. You know, but I wouldn't say that if I hadn't seen what happened in the Obama title wave in, in 2008, which produced a 76-74 House and surprised everybody. Yeah. Um,
1: I just – I guess I would just say um, I think your analysis is correct if it happens that way. (laughs) If, right? Yes. Um, But I am highly uh, – to me, it's highly unlikely in my opinion that it's going
0: to happen. Well, let me tell you the – Biggest reason why you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that Carl uh, Rove uh, got uh, two sessions ago, two cycles ago, um, um, raised, if I remember correctly, twenty or twenty-five million dollars, and they built a software um, uh, setup to be able to identify Californians and West Coast folks coming into Texas with a Republican voting history and registering them. And so the Democrats said they were doing the same thing, but there's never been any evidence of it. Um, So the Republicans have a very uh, effective, uh, historically effective um, uh, apparatus to get default Republican voters registered, and there's nothing comparable to that on the Democratic side. Um, and um, uh, the question is, are the folks they registering, social conservatives, you know, we'll find, find out.
1: Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah. But
0: the uh, but, but mechanically, the Republicans are so far above and beyond anything the Democrats uh, in Texas are doing that uh, institutionally and structurally they've got massive advantages. So, you know, things remain the same until they don't. And the irony, of course, is that Karl Rove is partially responsible for preserving the Republican majority at the same time he's being dissed. And dismissed, um, and and uh, smack talked by the same folks that he's essentially what he did has helped empower and get elected.
1: Yeah, isn't that how it works? That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harvey, let me tell you something. This is this was this has been a lot of fun. I, it is always fun having you on. I, I I love I love having this conversation with you. And uh, you know, as we get closer. Um, obviously, we're we're talking about a snapshot in history right now. And we know that in another, you know, after the primary, you know, we'll be talking about a whole nother world, right? And things will change again. And we don't know what's going to happen nationally. Uh, so much is happening that it could change dynamics uh, in a moment in a moment. And so, you know, um, let's do this again, uh, soon and, uh, well, not too soon.
0: Let's let some, let's let things some brood. <laughs> oh, there's somebody <laughs> else along the way to interview, I'm sure. Yeah, but. <laughs> <that's right.
1: laughs> but I sure appreciate you, you, you being here and, and, uh, you're, you're, you're always great in our, our audience just loves having you, uh, have you on the show.
0: It's a pleasure. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the, well, I'm, I'm not sure looking forward. I'm anticipating the next nine months. <laughs> They're <anxieties. laughs> Is that a word? Well, you know, there's no good outcome. So, um, you know, you've got um, a, uh, a um, an incumbent who um, is painfully frail and you've got a, a challenger who is painfully bellicose and, in fact, operates in a factory environment, but has a loyal audience um, and and at the moment has more voter intensity. And both of them are flawed in deep, deep fashions. And, that you know, like most Americans, it's very concerning that uh, this, this is the best we have to put on the table. I want to talk about that next time.
1: I mm-hmm. want to get more deep into, you know, these, these two um, essentially flawed candidates, um, which, you know, we're all flawed. But mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about how, how that's going to break out and get really get kind of deep into that. Next we'll know time. more in a little while. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> we may be wrong, but we'll know something. We'll know something. That's <laughs> exactly right. Thanks, Harvey. My Appreciate pleasure. It. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Statehouse. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your podcast today. If you like our program and you want to see more, please subscribe. Like it, share it with others. If you've got a comment, leave us a comment. Anything that makes us better, we appreciate. And we really appreciate if you like it to give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.